This will fill me like days of old Lighting the spark of love that fills me with dreams untold Each day I pray for evening just to be with you Together at last at twilight time Hello everyone and welcome to another DMV Comic Book Nerds podcast Today, we are reviewing Riverdale, Season 7, Episode 19, Chapter 136, The Golden Age of Television. I'm Freddie, and I'm tearfully remembering that time I did tickle porn. I wish I could forget that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Kennedy, and I'm remembering that my sister was murdered and then brought back to life. (laughs) And I'm Maddie, and I'm remembering that the Mothmen were secret Blossom relatives. (laughs) Wasn't that a crazy time? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it just? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, today we are very excited to uh, recap the penultimate episode of Riverdale. Um, we are getting so close to the finale. It's, the tension is high, the nerves, the, the emotions, everything. <laughs> but first, we've got to talk about some news. All right. So. Today, I believe, is the 107th day of the WGA strike and the 27th day of the SAG strike. And um, we want to continue to show the actors and writers our support. Um, You can find a link in our episode description if you want to take some actions to support them as they continue their strike for fair wages and um, the, uh, the way that they're trying not to get replaced by AI. Aren't we all? Like, this is crazy um but um i also want to talk a little bit about an interview that came out this week um up on vulture.com the other day they just released an article by rebecca alter and she interviewed the cast of riverdale back in june and they gave the actors some disposable cameras to take some photographs behind the scenes and so most of the main cast was involved with this interview and they all kind of are just sharing their thoughts about the, their time on Riverdale. Um, did you guys read this article? Yes. I did not get a chance to read it. Oh, you're missing out. Um, yeah, we got to recommend everybody go check that out. Uh, do you mind if we talk about it? Oh, no, not at all. I would love to hear about it. All right. So Maddie, what are some things that stood out to you in that uh, article? Um, so definitely, definitely some things that stood out to me were, um, the way in which they sort of discussed, like, where Riverdale exists sort of in the culture, um, acknowledging sort of both, like, the high and low of, like, yeah, we know our show gets made fun of a lot, um, and then kind of talking about how it's funny that people make fun of Riverdale when superhero movies are like sort of the main popular culture. And what is it that makes you able to accept kind of like heightened reality uh, in, you know, the Marvel universe and not <laughs> in the Riverdale universe, which I, I liked how they were talking about that. Um, and then I'd say the other highlights were at them sort of talking about their favorite, like crazy bits of dialogue they've had to say. Yeah. <laughs> like Veronica has this one crazy line that she talks about how difficult it was to learn, but now she remembers it and she can like recite it perfectly. And everyone's like, you go girl. <laughs> um, she's always good at that. Um, yeah. And I just love how the actors kind of talk about how they, like you said, they, they kind of embrace that this show is camp, that this show is 
uh, based off a comic book, and it can go a lot of places that the average teen drama can't go. Um, and that's why they've stuck it out for seven seasons. Like, you got to give them credit. Like, if they really hated it, they would have tried to uh, terminate their contracts earlier, probably. Um, I think they might have had it out after season four. I don't know. But I'm glad that they all are here. Um, a few things that stood out to me. I was vindicated when the interviewer asked them if they had to sing when they auditioned for this show. And everybody was like, no, that was not part of the audition. No one told us there, there would be musicals. Because <laughs> I think I asked that question uh, during the musical episode. And then um, also, um, KJ Appa speaks out about the fact that, you know, all these shirtless scenes he does are not easy. Like, uh, it's been seven seasons. He has an obligatory shirtless scene almost every single episode. And, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, he deserves... Uh, I don't know, a pat on the back. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, that's not easy. I think. Like, I've heard other CW actors um, complain about it as well. So, um, I think, you know, he's definitely paid his dues. <laughs> um, and I was kind of surprised to hear Madeleine Petch also mentioning some body issues she might have because, like, the way we all talk about her, we just like she's so pretty, she's beautiful, she's amazing. You wouldn't think she has any body is image issues, but um, she talks about how she bawled her eyes out after trying on the clothes for the lingerie photo shoot. Um, yeah, I mean, I would hate to think that this show, uh, you know, causes body image issues for its actors. I mean, I'm sure it, it does. I mean, uh, Lily Reinhardt has talked about it uh, and, and these other actors are talking about it. So it's, at least they're putting the discussion out there that, like, um, you know, what we see isn't always what we get, you know? Yeah, and I, I, I recall that I think sort of in that section, I think it's, I think it's Camille Mendez who, 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 who adds, she was like, well, I want, she's like, I just want to make sure that it's on the record that we weren't ever, like, forced to do anything we didn't want to do. And, like, it was a safe space like that. But, you know, it's, you can still, I think, I think they, I think Madeline Petch was, yeah, it's talking about just, it was sort of weird of like, oh, they're comparing it to what they looked like, like, seven years ago, and, and sort of how that can kind of mess with your mind. Yeah, like they do make that point that they weren't um, pressured or forced to do things. Although I'm sure that, you know, in an environment like this where they, they also talk about how the turnaround on on uh, getting their scripts and learning their lines and, and filming these episodes is so quick. Like, I'm sure you don't have a lot of creative say. Um, although I have pointed out the fact that Kevin has only had one shirtless scene this entire show. Uh, so he must have, like, resisted that a little bit at some point. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just kind of, like, we talk a lot about is Riverdale a show that does too much sexualization or, or is it not a big deal or is it a big deal? Like, I don't want to get too bogged down in that right now. But um, they at least kind of uh, share their opinions about it. Um yeah, it's an interesting article, so we uh, recommend everybody go check that out. We get to see some cool pictures. Um, anything else? Um, or just, I like the one line where Cole Sprouse says, if you watched our show, like you watch an anime, a lot of it would make more sense. 
Okay, I, I was skimming through the article and that that line caught my eye too. I was like, I feel like, yeah, you, you have to watch it this way. Uh, this is always what I tell people is I'm like, you're not watching it right. And I don't know if that rings true for you guys either. And I couldn't say like what I am watching it like, but I definitely like, it's not, you have to be going into it with certain expectations, I guess. Yeah, that's for sure. Like, especially like I've said several times on this podcast that, I've lowered my expectations for these uh, finale episodes. And for me, that makes it better because, like, I don't want to go in with high expectations and then be disappointed. Um, like, I know a lot of fans have been disappointed with this or that. Um, but then that said, having low expectations is not necessarily the same as saying it's bad. You know, I think it's more like trying to have no expectations, just to be open to whatever they're going to do, because usually they surprise me. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is, is being open to being surprised. I gotta say, Cole Sprouse had some interesting things to say in this article. Like, I know he gets some hate um, for various reasons. And I do want to call out the fact that he mentions that he's gotten, like, death threats. Uh, and, uh, and like, he's not the only one. Like, they've had, like, stalkers and all kinds of terrible things they've had to deal with. And that kind of stuff doesn't get mentioned enough. Like, it's so totally messed up. Uh, no one should be you know, sending death threats to anybody or and not, and certainly not actors on a TV show. <laughs> like, it's not that serious. Don't do it. Um, also, but I really liked his line when he said, uh, if you want a show about kids in high school dealing with drama, go watch Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, wait, have you guys seen Euphoria? So I watched the first episode and I was like this is not for me but I know it's popular uh did you guys watch it I haven't watched it no okay I've seen part of the first season and if that specific amount of watching it can't already tell you I didn't love it um I thought I think that like in a lot of ways it's just as like out there is real <laughs> like some <laughs> really crazy stuff happens in it but they play it all so like serious and it's such a like it's it's a visually beautiful tv show with some really good actors in it but you're also like okay i don't feel like like you're presenting yourself as like this is the the gritty reality but it doesn't feel like real like all these teenagers are just always going around like doing crazy stuff doing drugs having sex with like adults and it's all like lit really cool and you're like i feel like this would actually suck maybe more like than the show is showing you yeah, and it sounds pretty much like the HBO version of Riverdale. Yeah, that's the weird thing, is that it's very much a foil to Riverdale. Like, I think you could make some really interesting comparisons between the two of them, honestly. Like, uh, I don't want to speak too much more on it without having really watched it, but I will say, like, like that, I mean, that first episode kind of uh, turned me off of it uh, for some of the reasons you mentioned. Like, it's just like, uh, like, the things we complain about in Riverdale are worse on that show <laughs> well i think they're worse because aesthetically it is more immediately appealing you know when i when i watch riverdale i'm not like oh yeah they're like saying something crazy but i'm so distracted by how beautiful it looks that i don't notice that it's crazy i'm like i feel like i'm always pretty aware of riverdale's flaws um whereas for a tv show that is trying to be really aesthetically appealing it's harder to be aware of the messaging flaws of the story flaws so i don't know but um yeah i don't want to knock any other shows too much yes it is um, also okay if you like euphoria i yeah. think it is a really cool show in a lot of ways all right um let's go ahead and get into this episode um i'll give a few quick details this episode was written by showrunner roberto aguirre sacasa and tessa lee williams our 
MVP of all the musical episodes and a few others as well. Um, it was directed by Tara Defoe. Uh, I'll admit I did not look up Tara Defoe yet, so I can't tell you too much about her. <laughs> uh, are you guys familiar with that name? I'm not. No. All right, I- I'll look it up right now. Uh, she. So Tara Defoe has been a script supervisor and continuity editor for 73 episodes of Riverdale. Apparently. Um, nice. But this might be her first directing credit that I can tell. So that's pretty cool. Congrats to her. Um, and it was a very well-directed episode, yeah. I would say, off the bat. All right, so I'll give a quick summary. As the town's past secrets start to bubble to the surface... Jughead and the gang are forced to make a difficult decision that will change each of their lives forever. So, um, let's kind of just walk through it. Um, it starts with Jughead typing and narrating, and very quickly we see some very unceremonious exits of some of the season's villains. We see Principal Featherhead resigning. Uh, we find out that Hal and Alice will stay together, but Hal's going to live in the basement. Um, and soon we find out that um, even Dr. Werther's is leaving. Um, there's a little bit of speculation that he might become the next principal, but he's like, oh no, I have bigger ideas than that. I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. and continue to uh, censor comic books. And by the way, before I go, here's a personal rejection, Jughead, for your latest comic. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> um, so what do you guys think about the end of uh, these characters? Well, I, you may, Freddie, I, I remember that you were thinking, like, we've got to at least circle back to Featherhead and Werther's one more time. And technically we did, even if it was kind of just to quickly show them the door. Yeah, <laughs> like, I definitely expected or wanted more. But, um, I mean, on the other hand, this entire season, they have been kind of like, uh, what's the word? They have been kind of, I don't want to say dull, but like, relatively um normal villains <laughs> you know like they haven't been as they didn't have the dramatic flair of, of villains of past seasons so yeah. i'm not too surprised i would agree with that um i mean it's, it's a little bit hard going from like edgar ever never or <sighs> like you know i don't know veronica's scheming husband from wall street or whatever and yeah. then these guys are our villains. Yeah, they really did all the climax in the last episode, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they were fighting like they were fighting supernatural forces by that point. I mean, were they? Are we talking about Moloch? Oh yeah, no, that's not what I meant. Sorry, I thought you said last season. I was like, oh yeah, no, this is. But yeah, you're right. Even on an episode to episode comparison, these are pretty small potatoes, guys. Um. I do want to revisit a little bit of last week's episode before we get too deep into this one. Um, since we're on the topic, like they definitely gave us a lot of quick climax in resolution to the plot in last week's episode. And then this episode I felt was very much the wind down, the resolution, the denouement, you know? Um, and I think we might get more of that next episode. Um, but I want to go back to 
a point you had raised, Maddie, like you, you had voiced some frustration with the fact that Clifford and Penelope were revealed to be Russian agents. And, and I un- understand the frustration, uh, at least in terms of like, um, you know, the question of was the threat to Riverdale domestic or was it foreign or was it, you know, like what, what is the issue we're dealing with here? What, what are the themes of the show? Um, I don't know. I, thinking on it and looking at our current day politics, I kind of feel like Russia is a problem. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> like, like, uh, like I would kind of rather live here than there. I don't know if it's just the propaganda, but like from what I hear, you know, you know, the, they are very anti-gay. They're, uh, they're, they're not. Uh, I mean, if you think America is racist, I mean, I wouldn't want to go over there. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and plus, he's like Putin is like a warmonger, and and I hear uh, a dictator, literally, like, you know, like um, I'm okay with Russia being the enemy. <laughs> or, I think, am I being too simplistic? I don't. I'm trying to remember what it was that I said last time about the Moloch reveal. I guess it seems like it's almost a return to like old Riverdale form where the evil is always what you would expect the evil is right. It's, it's Russia, but also they're like worshiping a demon kind of, or whatever that was. But um, this season has been different in that it locates a lot of evil in present day for them, present day society, the government, like a system of authorities. Um, So it was a weird, it was weird to shift back to like, Oh, it's kind of goofy. Like, Oh, they're spies or whatever. Yeah, because on the so on the one hand, it, at least in terms of I think I think part of what they're doing, the way Riverdale is always doing this of, of referencing other television, it's very much a like ah, this is a joke. Um, it's the Americans. I I, mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody will watch the Americans, but yeah, just the same idea of like aha, we're you, you know what I mean. I was like I so it's it's clever. Yeah. Uh, it just it it feels it feels incongruous with I think kind of what was being set up and it's not because I'm like ah yes Russia the the good the the brave Russia but um it just kind of seemed a little like um not not um not in keeping with the idea of like oh we're trying to we're trying to right the wrongs in American history and in American history we did uh we did try to root out Soviets so you know that it's it's like I think that's what it was it wasn't doing anything different the way that we in Riverdale we consciously see members of the town trying to be you know it's like we're gonna move forward with integration we're going to (laughs) we're not going to um fall into sort of racist lockstep with you know other towns in America or at least that's sort of what our characters are trying to do and there's not really like a subversion coming with the like oh it turns out (laughs) that they were Russian spies because again it's kind of it's kind of like outside of that context I can't help but just like think about the real world illusions I mean look at Donald Trump he was a businessman turned president who lots of reporting has tied him to Russia and he himself is you know on live TV invited Russia to hack American politicians so like uh, or China or like he's just there's so many things we could say but um, I just think that um, when I watch Riverdale one thing that I'm consistently reminded of is how many of the things 
that they faced in the 50s we're still dealing with today. Um, and some people do say that the Cold War never really ended or even that the uh, uh, even that the Civil War never really ended. You know, like we, we, we're always uh, wrapped up in these wars, whether it's against each other, or whether against other countries. Um, I just think it's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm not I wasn't mad at that plot element. Um, I'm just mad that we didn't get more of it. Like, honestly, I wanted to see more Moloch and more uh, Russian uh, spies. <laughs> I don't know. Like, at least they should have teased it earlier. Like, it came out of the blue. Um, I totally agree they should have teased it earlier. Um, and maybe that's part of what we're laying our fingers on. I'll say for me, I, I do still stand by what I said. But also, yeah, like, in a lot of ways, I enjoyed it. Like, I'm not I'm not saying, like, oh, I wish it hadn't been there. I was just, I was surprised that that was, direct, that, that was the direction that they were choosing to go in. Um, it's goofy. I like it. You know, I think uh, like the idea of, of rooting out Russian spies, even though it did happen, is pretty far enough from most people's day to day experiences that it's still kind of funny. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so like I don't have like a big problem with it. I was just surprised, I suppose. Um, I know, Maddie, you said you uh, didn't like how they um, ended up. Uh, not being very, uh, I guess what's the, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just trying to remember what you said. Um, well, I think I think it's that it's kind of moves the goalpost on uh, on like why are the blossoms bad? It's like oh, okay, so originally we could just see them as like oh yes, they're I mean because Clifford had a picture of Nixon on his desk, which did make me laugh. I'm like oh yeah, they could, they could have just been kind of like you know, Nixon, McCarthy-esque um, sort of politicians and they mm-hmm. were prejudiced and kind of that's why they're bad people and we know they're homophobic to their daughter and that's part of why they're bad people. They're, you know, they're exploitative capitalists and that's why they're bad people. And then it sort of feels a little bit like, oh, it turns out they were bad because they were Russian spies. But I'm like, they're still bad for all those other reasons. And I guess that's mm-hmm. my disappointment comes from, it feels a little bit like it took away like what already is bad about like we already had there Clifford and Penelope are bad for so many reasons and it kind of kind of throws a like another one on that that feels a little like oh well you know or even like they could have just they become demon worshippers and that could have been another one I think it was mm-hmm. almost like they were doing too much stuff with that like um, yeah there certainly was a, a lot of stuff to, going on yeah exactly a lot and yet not enough it was like a weird a paradox. <laughs> Riverdale always does that though. I'm always like, I want to see more and yet I don't. Um, yeah. Like, I feel like it's because there's a lot of action scenes they don't film because it would cost too much money. Mm. Like a lot of times people, the characters will say, I'm going to go do this. And then they do it off screen and mm-hmm. then in, in dialogue later on, they're like, I did this. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well you didn't show us like them doing it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's return to this episode. Um, and on the topic of uh, the Blossoms, there's a quick scene where Nana Rose curses Clifford and Penelope, says she hopes that they rot in prison in Russia, and uh, and that's up to the three of them to rise from the ashes like phoenixes. Cheryl and Julian concur, and Cheryl has a plan that we'll talk about in a bit. I love seeing Nana Rose. Like I'm so glad that she has been uh, uh, on all seven seasons, I think. <laughs> I know, I missed her. <laughs> Like, uh, I'm glad she's uh, representing um, <laughs> <laughs> for the Blossoms. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the Coopers. So so Alice is staying with Hal. And while she's doing the dishes with Betty, 
Betty asks her why she won't divorce him now. Now that like she she kind of explains why she never divorced him in the past, but Betty wants to know why she won't divorce him now that everything is out in the air and that her kids are almost grown. And Alice admits that she's never been alone a day in her life. She she's she kind of expresses how she she's been kind of trapped. Like she she can't have her own bank account. She doesn't own the house. Like she's always lived with other people, whether it was her family or then or starting a family with Hal. And then when her kids are gone, if she's divorced from Hal, then she'll have nobody. So I did find that a little bit sympathetic. Uh, what did you guys think? I, I agree. And it's actually, <laughs> this is the only way in which I would ever compare my mom to Alice Cooper, but it's just interesting because I've had a conversation with my mom about how she, I mean, she had that experience in her life. She, mm-hmm. she lived with her parents and then she married my dad. <laughs> and that's, uh, and that's her, that's sort of her, I remember because I was sort of talking to her about how I was like, you know, having trouble finding an apartment and roommates and stuff. And she was like, I have no idea how to do any of that. And it was like a really interesting moment that is like sympathetic. And again, my mom, my mom is happy, but it, it but it's just, it's just this interesting reminder of like, oh, like just generational differences and like how, how people can move forward in their lives. So I thought that was a good Alice moment. Yeah. Like I would, I would kind of say, I think my mom has had a similar experience and I think it's probably pretty common. Uh, for a lot of people, um, unfortunately, to uh, to feel like they, you know, society never gave them the opportunity to kind of uh, experience self-actualization, uh, I guess we could say. Um, what do you think, uh, Candy? I really liked this scene. Um, first of all, they let some shots really linger, which I liked a lot. And we don't normally get to see Riverdale do that. We got some really good like facial acting from both both of the actresses in this scene. Um, and it just like it added much more of an emotional punch than I'm used to getting in Riverdale. And on top of that, I thought the dialogue was, was really good. It was really subtle and it, it definitely like it gave this scene a pathos that, that did not need to be like overdrawn. They didn't need to hammer it in for the audience in any way like they can sometimes do. Um, so I really liked this. Um, I thought it was super compelling. Yeah, like it, it was, it made me emotional. Um, I was shocked at how they have managed to turn Alice into a very sympathetic character for me because I'm a big Alice hater. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, I mean, I think we all can't stand her uh, from time to time. But um, yeah, I'm surprised to hear you uh, say you actually sympathize with her here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, I thought it was super sad. Like, yeah, I just thought it was super sad. Like, I have to say, at this point in the episode, I'm still kind of sore from what happened in prior episodes. Like I think back to the Miss Teen Riverdale episode. I'm like, in that episode, Alice was the villain, not Hal. Like Hal practically agreed to let Ethel compete, you know? Um, and it was Alice who was making this an impossible situation, uh, fighting against Betty at every turn. Um, and of course, by now we know the reason for that, but, um, it just, it's hard for me to make sense of all that. Like, I get that Alice has been trying to hold on to the ideal uh, household, uh, like, like keep up appearances and all that for all this time. Uh, and that can drive a person crazy, I guess. But, uh, you know, uh, well, we'll talk more about Alice later. <laughs> um, in fact, in the student lounge, the kids are discussing who might be the next principal. And t- Tony has a recommendation, but Betty's like, 
well, you might have to persuade my mom, Alice, because she's on the PTA. And, uh, and Tony's like, well, we know how that worked out last time. Like, she's she's terrible. Like, we don't want to deal with her again because like, they're calling back in the, the first episode of the season where um, Tony wanted to uh, talk about what happened to Emmett Till in the paper and RIVW and nobody would help her except Betty um, and then the other girls. Um, Alice definitely turned them down. So did Hal. So that comes back this episode um and i will say that uh we'll wrap up this plot because tony and betty do go to ask alice to convince the pta to support their candidate for principal um because a lot of educators lost their jobs when the schools were integrated and other schools were closed and so she mentioned someone who's been driving a cab for a year and it turns out that that person is Principal Weatherby. So the actor P Peter Bryant returns as Principal Weatherby. He gives a hu huge inaugural speech uh, with lots of Obama vibes. It was great. <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I, I saluted. I was I was very happy. <laughs> yeah. like he, this was so personal to me because I, I think I mentioned in the uh, first episode of season seven, I was like, it kind of sucks that they've had to replace Principal Weatherby with Principal Featherhead. Like, I get it. You know, uh, it's the 50s, so it wouldn't make sense for him to be there. Um, but I like how this season's plot has made it the point that we're going to fix the timeline so that he can be here. Because he deserves to be here. Because he's been here from the start. Like, and he's a good educator, uh, relatively. <laughs> yeah, yeah let's, well, let's hope he is a better educator in this timeline than in the contemporary timeline or at least less susceptible to cults mm -hmm, yes mm -hmm. as long as he doesn't meet edgar ever and ever who i, I am <laughs> always wondering if he is still secretly evelyn's husband <laughs> right just a fake teenager but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh he gave a great speech tony started the standing ovation everybody applauds for him including alice including evelyn even though she's the only one making faces um <laughs> so were you guys surprised to see him come back I was definitely surprised. I was not expecting that. And he kind of got like a big, like you say, moment in the sun. Like, I think this is more material than this actor has ever been given to work with before on Riverdale. Probably. Like, uh, yeah, he, he definitely came in uh, with a lot of energy, uh, right? basically like Obama to like clean up the administration before him, <laughs> <laughs> um, turn things around, um, you know, uh, so um let's back up to a scene where Archie and Reggie are talking um Archie's just buzzing with energy he's playing basketball again um outside the school and I gotta give you a shout out Candy because you called this way back in the musical episode you're like you think that you, you said that you thought Archie would become a Jack Kerouac type of uh poet and you're saying you're reading on the road. And so that's exactly what Archie does here. He quotes on the road to Reggie and he tells his Reggie his plans that he wants to be a vagabond train hopper over summer break. <laughs> yeah, I total coincidence that I happened to read on the road like a, a week or two ago. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I'm so happy. I'm so happy because I love Riverdale and I also love books. So for things to line up like this is is extremely fun. Um, it is also funny to try to imagine Archie being a Jack Kerouac or like any kind of beat. Like uh, he just 
he seems so innocent and cheerful and boyish. Um, and not that they weren't boyish, but like. But he definitely wants to grow up and like uh, lose that innocence. Like he's doing his best, unfortunately. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately for us, he is going to see the town prostitute. Um, although he can't manage to do it without Reggie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I like I like the comparison. I think I struggle a little bit with the um, somewhat inaccurate representation of um, the the gen- generation basically is like work. Uh, like it's reception it's integration into like I don't know the canon like at that time you wouldn't have been teaching Howl in a school but also I don't know it's kind of fun it kind of works for Archie like I think it's cute and it's nice that he wants to do stuff just for the sake of doing it and experiencing it and writing about it that's a that's a nice storyline for him um any thoughts about it Maddie um, I think I was most intrigued by it first when he's announcing his plan to Reggie that he wants to go ride the rails and uh, see the world over the summer. I was like, is this an Archie who actually wants to leave Riverdale? Which is yes, like that's the opposite of his surprise. usual characterization. Yeah, I gotta say that was really a sign that we are in the last episodes here because for up until now, everybody was like, Archie is the one person who's going to stay in Riverdale till he dies. <laughs> and now they finally written him to a point where he's open to the idea of venturing out. Like, I mean, yeah, he did join the army for a bit, but that was all off screen. Like you said, Candy, like we didn't see too much of that journey. Um, but um, I, I did like the, the hopefulness of that scene. Um, the, the, like it was very bright and sunny outside and everybody. And he was so optimistic. Um, that's the Archie I like. Um and so he's like telling everybody about his plans. He says, Reggie says, what will your mom say about it? And Archie's like, my mom can't do diddly squat if I want to go do this. <laughs> like uh, he's, he's very determined at this point in the episode. Um, let's just follow the Archie thread for a second. So then he enters Principal Weatherby's office and introduces himself. I got to say, in this moment, I was like waiting for something cataclysmic to happen like in the comic books Archie is always like a klutz who's causing Mr. Weatherby's grief um but that doesn't happen here all he does is just kind of tell him about Mrs. Thornton and Weatherby already knows Mrs. Thornton and immediately decides to try and get her back and and which he does later on we see the return of Mrs. Thornton and I don't know if they get rid of Mrs. Grundy but (laughs) (laughs) that was what I was wondering too I was like does this mean Mr. Mrs. Grundy is gone I would. I like to think so. In my in my version of it, um, so after she taught the driver's ed class last week, um, she she resigned herself because of how inappropriate Archie was being, and it was like I have to go teach at another school. Goodbye. <laughs> I would like for them both to keep teaching. I thought Mrs. Grundy was not a bad teacher this time around, at least compared to season one. <laughs> like they did give her a bit of redemption by not hooking up with Archie. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but whenever I look at her, I see Mrs. Grundy, and I'm like, well, Mrs. Grundy had sex with Archie in, in season one. That's just, like, what I associate with her face. Like, you I know, get... You know why they got rid- why she's not in this episode? Because, well, and we'll get to it, obviously. Because, like, imagine how crazy that would make Archie uh, once he gets his knowledge back of uh, his old life. Oh, my so. God. They had, oh, to, good had to get rid of her. <laughs> Oh, talk about remembering point. her face, yeah. We didn't even cover, they didn't even talk about that for a moment in the episode. But that's Thank a really God. good point. Um. <laughs> that's so weird to think about. I was going to say that this episode 
does make redemption a big topic. Like we get some redemption for Alice. We get some redemption for, well, we've gotten some quote unquote redemption for Mrs. Grundy. Um, We've gotten some redemption for, you could say, I guess, Kevin. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I was like, Kevin, you don't want to watch your member. (laughs) Don't do it. But anyway, we'll get to that. But yeah, so we're talking about Archie. Um, Any other thoughts about his uh, plans to this point? I'll save it for when we get to uh, the later half. All right, let's talk about that part. So next, Reggie tells Archie that he can't go to basketball camp because he has to help his family on their farm for their sweet corn harvest. And he's very sad about it. But Archie... Uh, being a swell guy that he is, volunteers to give up his summer plans to be a hobo, and he takes Reggie's place on the farm in Duck Creek. And it's actually not too far off from his original plan. Like, he's like, I get to be in touch with the earth, and I get to, you know, work with my hands and and just kind of experience new things and write about it. Yeah, farming, a a notoriously fun occupation. Well, I kind of liked Archie's perspective on it because I kind of relate to it a little bit uh fun facts uh i am a city boy and uh i did an internship when i was in college where i was working on a farm and you know when you are seeing when you are trying out something different it can be kind of exciting to you know learn new things <laughs> but i'm sure it gets old when, when something you are, are doing your whole life yeah um i yeah actually this was kind of on point though because a lot of like what for example jack kerouac and his friends were doing was like i'm gonna go like work on a farm for like two months during their harvesting or whatever um because they would have to take up like very odd jobs like that so i was like okay yeah this kind of this kind of fits even if i personally would not sign up to do farm labor for free but you know archie's a very good guy and and he clearly has a special connection to Reggie, which is heartwarming. Uh, and yeah. I would like to say that I maybe kind of called this direction a little bit when I said maybe he might end up like Henry David Thoreau, you know, uh, someone who, um, you know, tried to kind of connect with nature a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, he he liked to reflect on simple living in Walden. Um, I don't know. Well, we'll just have to see when Archie publishes his poetry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which should have been about uh, 50 years ago. <laughs> I, I do expect next episode to get at least a few lines about what they've been up to, you know, in the, in the next uh, 60 years of their lives. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to find out. Um, but that said, let's finish off this scene by saying that Archie and Reggie, again, declare their love for each other and hug, and Reggie's even crying, so we get a moment of, uh, of masculine emotion, um, which is arguably rare for TV, so uh, what'd y'all think of that? I, it makes my Archie-Reggie uh, ship heart <laughs> grow strong, <laughs> no matter what the show ends up doing. I, I believe that they're boyfriends. <laughs> um, I was going through my, my uh, saved photos on my phone, I hate to admit this, but I I found a picture from season six of what looks like Archie and Reggie kissing. Have you guys seen this photo? No. I, I think it was a behind the scenes photo. <laughs> oh, okay. They are always getting up to stuff. Like there was one where they were wearing pussycat costumes and like posing very uh, uh, sexily. 
like they they I think that's why we have this shit this season because they like um KJ and Charles have always kind of been uh close buddies. <laughs> but I don't know. Um I like it. I mean, again, we're going to have to after next episode we're going to have to have a conversation about what and what isn't queer baiting. Is it queer baiting if it's saving the world? <laughs> the quote Riverdale. <laughs> um I don't know. Um uh, but I thought this was a cute scene. Um All right, let's backtrack and talk about Jughead and Veronica. All right, so Jughead tells Veronica that the rejected comic was Zip Comics number 42, and it was about the comic that Tabitha told him about um, from W.E.B. Du Bois' story. And Veronica has the idea to make a movie about it, which Jughead supports. And then we see Jughead talking to Mr. Fieldstone about the canceled comic, Mr. Fieldstone says he'll go and go ahead and publish the comic, but without the comic book code seal of approval, and it'll be Pep's last comic book. He asks Jughead to write the last editorial as a eulogy. Um, later on, Veronica asks Clay to write the comic screenplay. I thought this was an interesting scene because she mispronounces Du Bois as Dubois, and Clay politely doesn't correct her. Like usually, he's the one. <laughs> No correcting everybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I love mansplaining Clay. That's like probably my favorite part of his character. But I, I was, I took notice of the fact that he held back in this scene. <laughs> um, he wants that was, job. Uh, and, and it was noticeable because way back when, um, Tabitha actually did correct Jughead when he mispronounced it. Because just for those who don't know, this is not like a name that can be pronounced either way. Uh, du Bois left uh, written instructions on how to pronounce his name um in his lifetime so you know uh it's just a thing but um they are both excited to make this movie they both want to cast Sidney Poitier um by asking for Josie's help uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they want to get Josie involved too down the line I don't know but um Veronica says she wants to premiere at Cannes in four to five years and they're just both excited and they hug and this was a plot line where immediately I'm like, like after watching the episode, I'm like, okay, I hope that they follow up on this. Because <laughs> <laughs> why introduce this in the last minute for no reason, you know? They just love to keep playing us. No, I think they've been building to this. Because, like, all along, from, like, when, when we first found out that Clay was interested in movies and working at the theater, um, and he said he wants to make movies, and Veronica said she wants to make movies. Like, they've been building up to this plot of, Veronica becoming a movie producer, not just a theater owner. So they better deliver next episode. <laughs> I hope so. I hope it'll at least be on a, you know, a, a clip montage of, you know, every, Clay and his like directing credits and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if it's like one line of Veronica and Clay became big time movie producers. <laughs> <laughs> like That'll be enough for me. Um, all right. So. Also, I thought the comic was pretty cool. The Zip comic, we got to see a few pages and um, covers of, like, the comic book version of the comic. Like, I really liked them bringing this back. Um, what do you think about that? I like, yeah, I liked it because it demonstrates that, you know, Jughead was really, like, 
paying attention to Tabitha when they actually had spent time together um, and kind of like imprinted that. Um, so I liked, yeah, them actually coming back to it after mentioning it earlier in the season. Um, yeah, and it looked, um, I, and I also really, I just really liked the Jughead Fieldstone relationship. I remember earlier I was kind of disappointed that his mentorship with, you know, Brad Rayberry is cut short, but, you know, he still kind of got Fieldstone as his mentor figure. So I liked that for Jughead. Yeah, I was talking about Redemption earlier. He's another character who's been redeemed this season because if you guys remember, when he first met Mr. Fieldstone, Jughead was accusing him of uh, uh, plagiarism, stealing stories, which he did do. <laughs> um, and Mr. Fieldstone hated Jughead's writing. So now at this point, um, Mr. Fieldstone is praising Jughead's writing and, and asking him to write the, the final editorial. Um, he says that this comic actually means something. Uh, he's very proud of it. Um, like even going so far back as when Jughead invented Sabrina, like he was proud of that one too. Um, unfortunately, that one didn't get published, but uh, I think it's nice that Jughead has ended up with a mentor figure, even if it didn't turn out the way he wanted it to. Like, this is another thing that I think will get followed up on next episode. Like, it might look like the end of Pep Comics in this episode, but I feel like it'll have a resurgence next episode. Maybe Jughead will invent Archie Comics. Maybe he'll bring in Mr. Fieldstone to come back and like they will, uh, you know, just start it up again and actually get rid of the comics code. I don't know. Yeah, I think those are some good predictions. I wouldn't be shocked if they join forces to create. Well, hard to say if they would create a, a an Archie comics, but I'm, a, you know, there's stuff we're going to get into later where I'm like, how does, you know. For example, the TV show that they watched. Yes, exists, yes. But it's not, we don't need to talk about it right now. <laughs> right. Um, anything else about Jughead and Veronica you guys want to talk about um, prior to the change? <laughs> no. no? All right. Um, I'm trying to just touch on everybody's plot line up until, you know, the big, you know, memories back stuff. Um, so. Let's talk about Cheryl. Cheryl decided to take back the Vixens, and she she very confidently challenges Evelyn to a dance-off, but Evelyn refuses. Cheryl says refusal is not an option, and she turns on her little radio and starts dancing to Rockin' Robin, um, the original version by, uh, I want to say, Bobby Darren. Is that right? It's Bobby something. That feels right. <laughs> I'm going to look it up because I should know this. Uh, by Bobby Day. And I got mentioned, like, if you were in the 1950s, you would just have to dance to whatever song came on the radio. You couldn't just pick your song and have a prepared routine. You had to dance to whatever song was playing at that moment. So props to Cheryl for putting on a great dance routine. Um, recalling season one and all of her other later cheerleading scenes uh she, she was shaking that paper she was kicking those legs and, and you had all the swoosh sound effects that we come to expect <laughs> that was... we loved every moment <laughs> oh yeah well i was i was gonna to briefly bring back the vulture uh interview with the cast that was so that was another thing Madeline petch mentioned when they were talking about how he had singing wasn't part of the audition and she was like oh yeah they cast me to play a cheerleader and they never like asked if i could dance <laughs> like they got lucky on that one because she is a really good dancer like uh yeah, they got really lucky. They got lucky with the dancing and the singing, I think, because like, because everyone has played their part and did their best, and I, you know, I'm impressed. Um, 
So when it's Evelyn's turn, all Evelyn does is give a blood-curdling scream and run out of the gym. <laughs> so Cheryl tells the remaining cheerleaders about her relationship with Tony, and they all support her. And then two more vixens also come out of the closet. Um, they also have a queer interracial relationship in the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked the like the scene of the vixens all like cheering when they found out that like not only Cheryl was gay and in a lesbian relationship but also two more of them were in a lesbian relationship together i loved them clapping because i was like oh yeah no they're all lesbians and they're all happy about (laughs) this this development they've all accidentally joined a lesbian cheer squad um which of course is not what the implication is supposed to be but their enthusiasm was just so (laughs) bracing it was it was wonderful um it was like it was so goofy that it looped back around to being like just enjoyable and nice for me Mm -hmm. um in a classic reveal fashion like i i I did like seeing Cheryl at peak confidence. Like we've talked a little bit before about um, to quote you, Candy, you said Cheryl was neutered this season um, <laughs> a little bit. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's the fifties. So like she hasn't been able to be as bold or as chaotic as she was in contemporary Riverdale, but, um, but she has had her moments and this was one of them. So I like that full circle moment for her. And just to see Evelyn one more time get uh, her comeuppance. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah, no no redemption for Evelyn ever, never. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about Betty. She goes to the post office and receives her first printed copy of The Teenage Mystique. She opens it right away. The mail lady says, you wrote a book? Your mom and dad must be really proud of you. And Betty gives an awkward look because obviously her parents don't know about her like lingerie book yet. <laughs> uh, uh. But in this moment, Betty probably decides to show the book to Alice. So that's what she does. She approaches Alice. She shows her the book that she wrote. She wants her to read it. Even if she won't be proud of it, she wants Alice to get to know her better and also get to know herself better by reading it. So she leaves it on the table while Alice... Uh, acts disinterested and reads like a magazine or a newspaper. Um, so I will skip to the part where Alice wakes Betty up at night and tells her that she read the book and she tearfully admits that Betty was right. She did get to know Betty better. <laughs> Betty bought some better butter. Um, and she was inspired by all the things that the girls wrote. Betty tells Alice it's not too late for her to pursue her dream and to be happy and they hug. So what do you guys think of the Betty Alice stuff to this point? I just want to point off out off the bat that um, I think in Riverdale multiple times, someone is waking, woken up by someone else sitting on their bed in the dark, which is the weirdest way to wake someone <laughs> up. It's just by sitting down on their bed in the dark and I don't know, waiting. <laughs> At least it wasn't chick. This time. Yeah, I was like, this is giving major chick. Like, <laughs> I, but you know what? You know, her her intentions were good, and it was an emotional moment. But that was, I was like, huh, that's a weird thing to do. You're getting chick vibes. <laughs> yeah, it's not good when I get chick. What vibes if they brought cause... Chicken Charles back? That oh yeah, no, chick. exactly. That's what this season needed was some Chicken Charles. Yeah. Hey, there's there's one more episode. I don't know. Fingers <laughs> like, crossed, guys. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, what do you think of? this whole situation with the book 
well, as I think, I think we've already, I think we have mentioned this, and if not, I think I definitely mentioned it in my my write ups about it. It's like Betty, as hot as you are in the lingerie photo, I don't know why that's the book cover. I feel like it's not a, it's not giving anyone a good idea of what the book actually is about. And so the one time I'm in full agreement with Alice is like her seeing the cover, and she's like, she's like, Mom, I wrote a book, and Alice is like, Goodness, yes. And I was like, I agree, Alice. This is, mm-hmm. I have issues with the cover, but um, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, Alice, Alice, Alice. She's such a frustrating character. And, I, and my note that I wrote down was, Maidchen is too good an actress for what Alice actually is. But yeah, I mean, she was selling she was selling it in the, the bedroom scene and, and her, how emotional she was. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I believe in this relationship in this one moment. But I, as you had mentioned earlier, Kennedy, I just have a hard time with, you know, <laughs> reconciling with the, with the other, you know, the, the Alice that has come before and all the stuff she's done. I kind of uh, feel similarly to you, Maddie, about it. Like um, Riverdale, from the beginning, has had this weird thing where they like to position the kids as being in the moral right, even if they are not. Like in, in terms of like society or like what's generally considered normal, <laughs> like, like they they've resisted that all along, and that's fine so, sometimes. But but like I'm just thinking back to when Betty did her. Uh, serpent dance on the pole in front of the whole town and her mother back in season two and then like uh, or like when Cheryl did the sugar daddy dance for the principal thinking that would do something and it didn't (laughs) or like stuff like that you know like um, every time they do stuff like this they don't really give the kids a lot of resistance or if they do the people who resist against them are wrong but I'm like I kind of wanted somebody. I kind of wanted Alice to say, "It's a great book, but you cannot publish this, <laughs> or you have to make some changes or something." Like you know, give her some constructive criticism, please. Um, I I agree with that. I think that one similarity. You know, we mentioned Euphoria earlier, and I won't belabor the point too much because we're not talking about Euphoria. We're talking about Riverdale, obviously. But one similarity between the two shows is that they take the the teenagers. Uh, view of things extremely seriously to the point where the adults are often wrong um, and we're supposed to be like on the teenager's side um, but the teenagers of Riverdale can be just as irrational as the adults of Riverdale and and definitely it would have been nice to see that part of Alice's redemption arc is that she steps into like a motherly role and she is the one helping and guiding and instructing like I think some of the best adult mentors that Riverdale has shown us aren't they're not like uncritically like supportive of the of the kids but right like i don't want to see alice just bending over to all of betty's demands at this point like for me that's not making her a more realistic character um i mean i i had to ask myself this this episode i was like so did betty keep this book a secret from her parents or were her parents just neglectful and that's why they don't know about it because like how do they not know she published the book? Like she's been up all night, clickety clack, type typing away in her room. Even after they tried to take away the typewriter, like how do they not know she's been up to this all this time? Are they neglectful, or, or was she intentionally hiding it? Probably both. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> they are not paying attention to her. Yeah, and that's and that's again why I I struggle to fully forgive Alice. But also, I struggle to fully root for Betty because I'm like, there's two sides to the story. Uh, like, 
even in 2023, teenagers should not be publishing books where they're wearing lingerie on the cover. Like, I'm like, I feel, am I crazy? I feel like I'm taking crazy no. pills. Um, let me, let me calm down. <laughs> no, it's definitely weird. It, this was, this was a weird one. This was a weird one. But, um, I do feel like the stuff Betty was writing about was good. Um, do you think she published all the girls' um, anonymous letters, or did she just publish her own writing about starting the the advice column? It seemed to me like it was a little of both. Like she may have excerpted some of the letters and I hope she uh tried to anonymize it as best she could but mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know yeah because that would be kind of messed up too if she was just like publishing all the teen girl secrets and everybody knows who they are like, like <laughs> oh Edith Cups said she she felt unpretty like well it was Ethel Mugg's fault for calling herself Edith Cups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh like there, there could be more to the storyline but again we we got what we got and that was arguably enough <laughs> Um, let's move on from that. So, um, next, this is where we really get into the meat of this episode. Jughead returns to his train car and he finds Tabitha. She is not wearing glasses and she has brought him a color television. What a great friend to have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, she shows him a video of the Riverdale pilot. Don't ask questions how she got this, (laughs) but, uh, she says, just watch it, and, ev- and then I'll explain later, um, which she never does. But she... Well, I think it's off screen, but... Yeah, yeah. So she gives him some coffee after he watches it. He's kind of stunned. He says he remembers everything. And then she reminds him of their plan, and, he- and she says that it worked. Um, they did push things forward as far as bending towards justice, and unfortunately, her side of things didn't work as planned, she had to fold all the timelines into this one, and as a consequence, she cannot take anyone back to their future. Um, thoughts? I don't know what that meant. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what it meant when they said it on the show, and I still know what it means, but um, I'm fine with them not explaining it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, same. same. I, as, as long as they don't over-explain way. not explaining it. I guess, yeah. I kind of feel similarly. Um. In terms of uh, how does Tabitha have the Riverdale pilot? Well, I saw this as there's two ways. One is that Riverdale, the TV show, really has just all been in Jughead's head. And, and Tabitha's an angel. She has the power to, like, have pulled it out of pulled it out of Jughead and compiled this thing. That's what I choose to think. Um, that, that's and an or, theory. And have... or in the, uh, one of the other universes, the TV show Riverdale exists. That's yeah, how, that's, that's the one I was leaning it. towards. I was assuming, like, there must be a timeline where Riverdale is a show. I mean, that is true, because we know it is a show in our reality. Um, but they could have at least had a line to say that. Like, like Tabitha could have easily said, in another reality, your lives are a TV show. See, I, I think, to me, I think that's a little bit, almost, that's almost over-explaining it, kind of in the way Kennedy's talking about. Like, it's better that we don't even know. It's just, at least yeah. that's how I feel, but. I guess it would raise more questions and answers, because if it's a TV show, then they wouldn't believe that it was their real lives. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like, 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 they really don't explain why watching this TV show makes them remember their lives. 
Yeah. Um, this is very like I do I I like that they left it kind of unexplained. And also it was kind of like uh I know that we've talked about Supernatural briefly on here before because Supernatural is another CW show. Mm-hmm. Um it has a lot of similarities to Riverdale. Um I have a friend who's really into Supernatural, so I know that they had an episode of Supernatural where like um Dean and Sam got sent into like the making of the TV show Supernatural, and they were like, "Whoa, they made a TV show out of our lives. That's crazy." I didn't see that one, but I did see the one where they got sucked into the TV and, and teamed up with Scooby Doo. Did you see that one? <laughs> no, but this is like—I mean, obviously, the CW loves its meta narrative. Um, yeah. It loves it TV about TV, and then it also loves TV or TV about other media. Um, but especially, just like, yeah, they like to, they like to get weird with it, and. Um, I think I think that's cool. But it was interesting to me that they didn't like yeah, I I find Maddie's theory pretty compelling because they never said like, "Oh, how did this TV show occur? How did it come to exist?" They also didn't say, "You know, why are you making us watch seven six or seven whole seasons?" Well, it was funny when Jughead show. said, uh, "In the future, pretty... they call this binge watching." <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, "The whole all of Riverdale? That's a lot of show." Are they and, down there for weeks? Right. Like, he had them watch the entire six seasons, I guess. So or... it must have been what Maddie says, where it's, like, meant to be read allegorically or as, like, she has put them into this mind space so as to not scare them. In which case, Tabitha seems, like, pretty powerful. Maybe one of the most powerful characters in the Riverdale universe. I mean, she's so powerful that no one really questions it. Like, this time when they gather the gang and offer them the chance to get their memories back, it is totally different to what happened in the first episode of the season where everybody called him a kook and was about to send him to the sisters. Um, like, I kind of was surprised that we didn't get a scene where they reacted to this news, but I guess you just have to keep keep it moving and say, like, they believe that this is real. They just have to decide. The issue is, are they going to actually choose to get these memories back? Yeah, they were pretty believing, huh? Like, so far, this is the most supernatural thing to have happened in the 50s. Like, yeah, there's they totally skipped over any like recognition of that fact. <laughs> I guess I guess they ran out of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there was a point where I kept looking at my watch. I was like, so when does Tabitha get to show up in this episode? They're doing a lot of other stuff before mm-hmm. Tabitha showed up. Well, I'm glad she did return. Um, so um, let's quickly talk about how the gang decides to eventually watch their memories. So Archie is the first one to come visit Jughead. Um, he says he drew the short straw, and so he'll be the first to try it. And he says maybe he'll get a good poem out of it. And so Jughead shows him Riverdale in the bunker. Archie Why did the bunker? Riverdale. Why didn't they just watch it in Jughead's train car? <laughs> so that they couldn't leave. I'm assuming Jughead locked them in. So they had to watch all six <laughs> That's how I make my friends and family watch it. Oh, I'm just kidding. Yep. <laughs> oh no, definitely. Um, so then Archie recounts his other life to Jughead at Pops. He's very stunned by all the different things he did in life. He was a boxer. He was a soldier. He fought a bear. <laughs> he has to report back to the others. But he does mention that he was glad he got to see his dad again. But he doesn't know if the others will want to see what he saw. But then Betty and Veronica decide to watch it together. I thought that was cute. But afterwards, Veronica says, you could have prepared us better for that. <laughs> and Betty is weeping over the darkness and trauma that she experienced. Veronica is 
very somberly acknowledges how she killed her husband and her dad in the other timeline. But no tears are shed for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not that they deserve it that much, but it does remind you. You're like, wow, dang, Veronica, like, she does just kill people sometimes. She killed a lot of people in the other timeline. <laughs> this is what I was thinking about the other day. Or, yeah, no, like, when she said this, it reminded me that I had been wondering which Riverdale character has the highest kill count. Well, we all know how many people Archie killed at war, if any. Um, but Veronica was killing people by accident by the six seasons. <laughs> she <laughs> had, she literally had death powers. <laughs> yeah, things were not going well for her. Um, next, Tony, Cheryl, Reggie, Dilton, and Fangs all come to watch. And Jughead hilariously says, at times, you might not even recognize yourselves. Wink, wink, because there were different actors at some points. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Kevin and Clay decided not to watch since Clay is not in it. Instead, they're cuddling at Kevin's house. And then Julian also decides not to watch since <laughs> he finds out that he was a doll. <laughs> yeah, and we also don't get an explanation for that. Like, how did he metamorphosize? <laughs> Where did yeah, Jason Kevin, go? Right, yeah. like, no mention of Jason Blossom or the difference between him and Julian. Like, is there a difference? No, there has to be. I mean, because they seem like pretty different people. But also, yeah. I feel like we didn't know Jason that well either. True. Um, I'm, I'm betting we get a Jason cameo next episode. Huh. It's, just, it's interesting because Jason is so important to, like, original Cheryl. So, like, a Cheryl who gets her memories back. Yeah, it feels, a, it feels weird that they don't, like, address Jason at all in this episode because they, they might Polly, but <laughs> yeah maybe they'll do it next episode i don't know but I, lo- I thought it was cute when cheryl and tony they linked arms as the show started um it's almost like at that time they all went to go see love simon remember that <laughs> <laughs> oh god all right so then they reconvene in the classroom and jughead mentions how they they've seen it all the good the bad and the bear um so Tabitha asks them if they'd like to keep their memories or forget. Veronica asks if they can keep only the good memories. Jughead is like, it doesn't work that way. But then Tabitha corrects them. She's like, uh, actually, I'm an all-powerful angel and I can do that. <laughs> yeah, Tabitha's like, I'm basically God now. So um, yeah. <laughs> like, no. don't underestimate me, Jughead. Like, I got powers. <laughs> yeah, they should have started arguing. <laughs> so um, that's what they decide to do. They all watch a happy clip show on the TV at the Babylonium this time. And this time, Kevin, Clay, and Julian join them. Tabitha walks out, and Jughead follows her and asks her to stay, but she can't. The other Tabitha exists here, and she's already got a future ahead of her. Tabitha knows that 50s Tabitha will eventually settle in Chicago and become a civil rights leader. And she affirms to Jughead that everything from both universes is real. She says that even their time bubble still exists where they lived out their whole lives together. But there's only one path forward from now, and that's a good thing. Because she says that the comet and the end times won't happen anymore because of a classic time paradox. So then he offers her a goodbye kiss. She says that he read her mind. So Angel Tabitha kisses him, but leaves him before he opens his eyes. Um, and this is a cute little parallel to the season opener. Um, I'm glad they kind of brought this back around. But um, interestingly, Jughead was one of two people who decided to remember the good and the bad because he calls himself the unofficial chronicler of the town. 
The other person is Betty. She also chose to remember both the good and the bad. Um, we see Betty uh, looking at herself in her mirror at night. She is uh, remembering all the pain she's suffered and like she's got her fist balled up like remember when she used to like uh, cut her palms with her fingernails. Um, although this time you don't see blood on her hands but you do see a flashback of when she had blood on her hands and like I thought that was a very um, almost like a like a biblical uh, illusion like you know with, when Jesus has like the holes in his hands and he's, and he's telling his disciples to like see that it's really him because he went through that pain of crucifixion and after resurrection he still had bloody not bloody but like holy hands <laughs> Pardon the pun, not intentional. <laughs> um, any thoughts about that? So many thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, so I will say, when Veronica was like, oh, can we only remember the good things? I, I like said, I was like, but Veronica, the good things can only be good because of like bad things and consequences. Yeah. That's how life works. And so I was True. glad that I was glad that Jughead, like it made sense that Jughead was like, okay, I'm keeping everything. And then with Betty deciding to keep everything, that was sort of an interesting, and especially because we kind of already know from at least a suspicion from the plot description of the finale episode is like Betty centric. And to me, this kind of cemented this whole with the question of like who's the main character of Riverdale, and it kind of like shows like Jughead and Betty are kind of the main characters, which I feel like is paralleled because they're the ones who are going to remember all of Riverdale. Um, yeah, this, this episode did have some bughead crumbs. Like it, it definitely did kind of bring their story full circle in a way. Like um, it let fans have some closure if they were bughead stands because like they they acknowledge the fact that they were together at one point and then Jughead says and then we weren't and that's what happened like that's that's how it was um and then um and just the fact that they both remember like it speaks to their character that both of them I guess have the emotional depth to carry the weight of both the good and the bad in a way that the other characters might not necessarily have or choose I don't know um, any other thoughts about that? I mean, hmm. Yeah, I was also kind of surprised that I was surprised that they had Jughead voice. You know, you can't keep both only, or you can't keep only the good, and then have Tabitha correct him and say, "Yes, you can." Um, I I don't even know that I have anything more intelligent to say about it than like it almost seems like a subversion of something in and of itself, like they want to give these characters good things without making them lose anything or gain anything negative as a result. Um, and Tabitha also, where, where is she going? Like to heaven? Cause she's an angel. <laughs> I, I guess. I'm like, I'm just going to drink her Holy grail milkshake and take herself back to pops in the sweet hereafter. <laughs> like that has to be what I'm, what I'm imagining. I want it. This will never, ever, ever happen, but I would love a Tabitha spinoff show where somehow, some way, we get to see what it looks like for her to fold together timelines or see a time bubble or something. I'm just like, the science fiction, someone needs to write this fan fiction, seriously. Like, the science fiction potential is so fun and so interesting when paired with Riverdale. And it's so funny that we get these little glimpses of it and then don't really get to see any of it. But it's made Tavis so much more of an interesting character for me. Yeah, um... Unfortunately, I do have something to point out. Uh, we've given Archie a hard time for the fact that he is always with older women. Uh, I have to point out that when Jughead is kissing Angel Tabitha, 
she is an older woman at this point. We don't even know how old she is. Like, with her top <laughs> powers. She's an angel. Yeah, she's not a teenager she's anymore. She's a, she was at least an adult from from season six. But now, like, yeah, she's like a angel, an ageless angel, like I said. So, um, you you wouldn't you wouldn't kiss an angel? I would totally kiss an angel. I think that would um, be awesome. Right in front of right in front of Veronica Salad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, Veronica wasn't lucky. <laughs> Veronica doesn't need to know. Like that was kind of weird. How like they were coupled up watching the clip show. Like I, I he has arm over weird. her shoulder. Yeah, that, and then, yeah, that was a weird detail. <laughs> and we're seeing scenes of Jughead with um, Jughead with Betty, Jughead with Tabitha, and then he dips on Veronica to go give Tabitha one last kiss. Like. I mean, I don't want to criticize it too much because I actually do like Jughead and Veronica. I also do like Jughead and Tabitha. It's it's a it's a hard thing to juggle, you know. Yeah. But I, I mean... think I think at this point they they all kind of understood the situation. Like, like I think Veronica understood that if that Jughead does have an emotional connection to Tabitha, and he might need to say his goodbyes, and she's not worried about it. Yeah, because when you think about it, like you, if you're considering a, both Veronica, who is like 1950s Veronica, who is you know now kind of dating Jughead, and then you smush together her like past memories in which she never dated Jughead, <laughs> like she's kind of like probably just still feels you know friendly casually to him. So like I feel like it wouldn't upset her that much. I don't know. So mm-hmm. when you think about <laughs> think about um as compared to maybe like I wonder what she feels about Archie and Reggie right now. <laughs> I mean, if it were me, I would just feel so overwhelmed by all this new information or this, this flooding of my old lifetime, I wouldn't necessarily, like, I would put a pause on relationships. I'd be like, okay, let me figure out who I am. <laughs> that, so this, my secret, not theory, I guess, I, I wonder if that's actually kind of the direction it might go next episode. It's not, we're not going to see anybody end up with anybody because <laughs> it is very much like, we've all got to kind of move forward and like do something with our lives. Um, and there's like way too much drama with everybody. Well, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but I have seen a few promo pictures from next episode. And I gotta say, it looks like Barchi's paired up and Jeronica is paired up. At least for mm. at least for an episode. <laughs> I can't it, say about the rest of their lives. I am firmly on the on the Rarchi or the uh Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what their ship name would be. I think that Archie and Reggie, I don't know what they're doing, but I I like it and I wish we could see more of it. And I don't really <laughs> care who Archie kisses at this point. Unless he kiss, kisses Reggie, but he doesn't have to. That's my opinion. Yeah, let's have Archie, Reggie. Let's have Betty and Veronica. Yes. Kevin and Clay. Let's have Shoni and Tara. Uh, Sh- <laughs> They're just one person now. <laughs> yeah. Let's have Shoni. Uh, and then Jughead could, you know, he could do whatever. I've Shoney always said Jughead's asexual. Just let him yeah. be asexual. It's fine. Yes, they should all be gay, except for <laughs> Jughead, who is asexual. This is this would be perfect. Like, am I allowed to bring out that Lizzo song now? I feel like Lizzo has fallen out of favor really quickly. <laughs> Uh, in recent news, but the song's still good. <laughs> yeah, she, I, I think you could quote it. Everybody's gay. I mean, we we <laughs> skipped over because we never focus on Kevin. We skipped over uh, Kevin's dad and Uncle Frank. Oh my god! Okay, how did we skip yeah. over that? Let's let's talk about this. The one moment in the episode where I literally, I like, I said aloud, "What?" Yeah, I that was, was a shocker. I mean, are we gonna get more information? Like we, like I have been pointing out all season how like how ridiculous it was for 
Frank to be railing against Archie's poetry and how like he was essentially like calling it gay. Like, so it's not from that point of view, it's not a surprise to see a kind of reversal. Like sometimes, sometimes a lot of the most vocal anti-gay people do have, um, you know, uh, secrets <laughs> that they'd rather not uh share but um i don't know uh i'm i don't i know that some people were very upset with this reveal or twist um i felt like they left it vague enough where if you want to take frank's word for it maybe he was maybe 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 tom was just <laughs> lending him his shower just guys being dudes yeah uh i mean tom did also look like maybe he just got out of the shower too i don't know <laughs> I, you know what, I, I can't be mad because it's just, so, it's so Riverdale that I love it. Yeah, I'm not mad. I'm just, I'm like, I don't know what to, Shocked. to think about I'm it. I'm surprised and I like to be surprised. So that's why I exactly. watch this TV show. Yeah, so it was what is, what's interesting is that I feel like I remember during the earlier episodes when Kevin was, was struggling in his relationship with Tom and yeah, the Twyla, the original Twyla episode, which anyway and then Tom Tom was being really shitty but there was also there was something about it where I did I did kind of have a feeling of like huh are they implying that Tom is kind of like he's like acting out on this to Kevin there was something about the way the actor was playing it that made me think actually it was because he was gay in this version and he was sort of like seeing himself in Kevin and so I was like oh that kind of paid off but I wasn't expecting it to but I wasn't expecting Uncle Frank to be a part of it for sure yeah, like it is kind of like a quick and neat tie up to to this plot line because we were wondering what is the reason for Kevin's parents getting divorced because they did not give us any any details. Mm. And then I don't know, like I'm I'm okay with it in the sense that it was funny and it was brief and it was like unexpected, but it was also kind of makes sense. But um and it was just for the shot of Frank coming out shirtless with his like towel on, like at the most inappropriate time. Like I, that was funny to me. Um, <laughs> and then Kevin's reaction, like his face. Yeah. What? What a scene. <laughs> um. <laughs> this is why Frank hates poetry, I guess. <laughs> um. Do you think Kevin will be happy for his dad if they are gay, if they are a couple? Um, no. Because <laughs> no. Uncle Frank You'd be like, what? Like, you you this whole time and then you treat me the way that you did? Um, but honestly, he hasn't been that bad. Like, oh, after true. that first episode, he came around. Like, he was supporting Kevin with his musical. That's true. I was thinking, I, was, I did have the thought when, you know, Kevin, when, I like that, yeah, Kevin, Clay, and Julian go to the Happy Memories montage, even though, again, Clay and Julian aren't really part of any of that. Um, but then, yeah, Clay, like, and then let's Ke- see what all the fuss is about. <laughs> about it, I guess. And then Kevin, I was like, well, at least Kevin could kind of see, like, the better version of his dad in these memories. Or, again, he hasn't been as bad after that first episode, but the, Ke- but the original Tom Keller was definitely, was definitely a lot, uh, a lot more supportive. So. I did like the look that Clay gave Kevin when he saw Kevin like living it up during the Hedwood musical and kissing Archie and everything. Um, yeah, I saw someone tweet that the way they edited it, they focused more on yeah Kevin kissing Archie a couple of times. They were like, just maybe Clay thinks he and Archie dated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was I've been waiting for 
Kevin and Clay to kind of like bring in Archie for a threesome. I, I thought that, <laughs> thought that might happen at one point. It did not. Um, <laughs> uh, all I can say is that I did see some people point out online that this clip show that they watched did not include any clips from season five or six <laughs> or anything post time jump. Like, do you think that was intentional or do you think that was? Um, um well, hold hold on because I don't know that that's I don't know that that's necessarily true because I, well, a I'm, Tabitha is in parts, so they do show I think clips from at least okay okay at true, least some true. of them, and then uh, yeah, I feel like I remember seeing there but I think you're right that a lot of it is not. <laughs> from those seasons but they they do they do have um they do have stuff with um at least tabitha centric stuff i mean but this is this is the kind of stuff that causes me to overthink because i'm like so now i'm like did their the show that they watched was it what we've seen or does it include the time jump that we missed it it definitely does because veronica mentioned superpowers in her list of like can we just not remember the gargoyles and something and the superpowers (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which I guess you could see Veronica in that moment. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's the writers doing their their meta thing of like, oh, Veronica is speaking for, you know, the fans who are like, everything sucks after the time jump or whatever. Although the Gargoyle Kings, of course, from season three. A great season. <laughs> I mean, it kind of disappoints me, though, because I like those later seasons. Um, oh, I, love, I, I agree. Like, I love the chances they took with the time jump and then with the superpowers and then with the magic and, and Percival, like... I, that's kind of what I was hoping for more of, but uh... I I agree with that too. I think that they they make these jokes that are almost aimed at fans that aren't necessarily us, but fans who aren't even maybe watching anymore. Not that right. it's a bad thing, but it's like it's actually I I like that stuff. I mean, it was silly, but it was cool. Like it yeah. was silly in a very fun way. Yeah, I mean, I get like I can roll with this episode, and I can try to not ask questions and just like like enjoy what they what it offered um but yeah let's wrap this up and um i'll just say that at the end of this episode jughead narrates and types um something that, that pops he comes up with the title goodbye riverdale and then we hear the song from the pilot episode play again so um any final thoughts before we rate the episode i think i'm ready yeah, yeah. Preparing All right, so, the rate up. Yeah, right, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm not ready for the finale. Who knows? But <laughs> All right, so let's rate this episode. Candy, is it a 10? Oh, I'm going to give it an 8. And my reasoning for that is, in a lot of ways, great Riverdale return to form, surprisingly good payouts on the emotional stuff. Also, there was, yeah, some, some pretty hasty tying up of, of knots and there were things that I, I wanted to see that I didn't necessarily get to see. But overall, great episode. This is the this is exactly what I wanted from this season. Um, and I love that it's crazy and kooky and leaves a lot to be guessed about. All right. Maddie, what do you think? Is it a 10? Ooh. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. No, I mean, okay. So I think I'm going to give it a nine because I think, the emotional payoff stuff really did work for me in ways that sort of, you know, glance over maybe kind of the like, hmm, <laughs> questions that's raised by some of uh, 
some of the timey-wimey stuff of getting our memories back. But if anything, I actually like love, <laughs> I have to give this episode a nine just based on the fact that, again, my yes, my ideal vision of life is to force my friends in a bunker to watch Riverdale. So yeah, it was good representation for me. <laughs> that was the joke for, for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, so... Yeah, it's like, because on the one hand, it's there's there's a lot where I'm like, ah, I could have more. And so I could see myself giving it an eight, but I'm going to go with my gut and give it a nine because I just, um, I liked, um, I, I didn't, I didn't mention this, I think, as explicitly, but I really thought, I thought Cole Sprouse was really good in this episode, like of all the sort of emotional beats with him and Tabitha. I wasn't like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not an anti-shipper of Tabitha. I just, I was never like the hugest, like whatever shipper for them. I like Tabitha. She's too good for, you'll get it. I guess that's kind of what happens. She's an angel and she's off to ascend to a higher plane. But um, I like really loved everything with them and sort of wrapping up their kind of tragic story in a way. So I don't know, for those reasons, I give it a nine. Well, I do have to ask you guys a question. Why did Tabitha come back and offer them this chance to get their memories back? Ooh, guess she so, felt bad. <laughs> so in in I'm trying to think of the in universe reason because I mean there's an obvious like out of universe reason is like they you know they needed or I guess you know to, to not totally screw over the long time fans they need yeah the audience get, needs this but needs the characters this, need but this the characters need this. Um, I think the reason that it's the most, I think, I think this is my, my thought behind it is the reason she comes now and it's sort of like what she says that she's like, I can see like everything that you're, you've done in the town right now. You know, we've pushed forward to like, we have Principal Weatherby as principal. Cheryl came out and we're now an openly lesbian like cheerleading team essentially. And again, it's this, it's this, you know, Schrodinger's cat version of the fifties. It's like, oh, there's all this progress like the unfolding now in Riverdale. And so she chooses this moment to come back to be like, yeah, it's because on the one hand, it's like, oh, like the old world sucks, or like there's a lot of pain from the old world. Why would she want to give that to them? But I mean, yeah, I think she feels responsible of like, you know, she kind of took away the choice from them, right? Like she she, she stuck them all here. That's what I'm saying. Like, she was the one who took away their memories in the first place. So after some time, I guess she decided maybe they've, uh, maybe maybe they need their memories to keep pushing things forward. Yeah, that's not, you could read it that way. I think that's, that's my current explanation, but uh, I'm happy to hear other thoughts. All right. Well, uh, it's time for me to say if it's a 10 or not. Um, I will also give it a nine. A nine is just fine because like, I kind of feel like you, like I, I liked it. Um, I mean, uh, in hindsight, you know, I do have a lot of questions, and that's just my nature. Um, I, I, I should know by now that it's pointless to question Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, I don't want to take any of the joy out of it by asking too many questions. But I do kind of wish that they had asked some more of these questions up front. Like, like looking back on the season i do feel like it's been a little bit half-baked like um i mean that's arguably all of riverdale like like even the interview kind of revealed like they do kind of fly by the seat of their pants and make things up as they go and um they don't know where they're going or where they're going to end up but they 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 will give you something and <laughs> it'll be big <laughs> so um you know i understand that i am trying to make my peace with it i think we're all experiencing emotions like coming to the end of this so it's like 
uh, yeah, I'm still trying to process what my feelings are. Um, but they're always more positive in the moment, and then they're a little more negative after the fact. <laughs> um, but not so negative that it's like bad. It's just, um, you know, it just leaves me wanting more, which I guess is all you could ask for. All right. Um, so we got one more episode of Riverdale left. It is indeed titled Goodbye Riverdale. Um, not sure what to expect. The promo was pretty uh, vague. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other final thoughts for tonight? I'm just really sad that it's ending. Yeah. Me too. Well, uh, is there any other media you'd like to shout out really quickly? I haven't really been watching anything, so I or reading much, so don't don't have anything to shout out today. I, I I'm reading a thrilling um, book called Opium in the Romantic Imagination. So it's uh, written uh, pretty dryly, as you might expect, being a work of literary analysis. But have you tried doing some opium to help with it? it? Yeah, <laughs> to relieve the pain. Yeah, no, um, I might uh, might pass on on that one. It seems to be not like a fun time. Okay, but um, maybe some jingle jangle. Yeah, some fizzle rocks. <laughs> not never was sure what kind of drug those were supposed to be. Were they like? <laughs> molly were they like cocaine i, I feel like fizzle rocks was supposed to be meth because it was like the bad one and then <laughs> jingle jangle was maybe yeah cocaine or or a fun one quote unquote what you need are some magic mushrooms that'll do the <laughs> yeah the maple mushrooms how can they possibly have forgotten the stupidest <laughs> of all of the riverdale drugs the maple mushrooms that drive you crazy <laughs> um all right so um really quickly i do want to shout out um the Blue Beetle movie is coming out, I guess, like today or tomorrow. Um, so I'm excited for that. Like, uh, if people have listened to my non Riverdale podcast, you will know that I have a lot of frustrations with DC movies at this point. But this is one that I'm hopeful for because I think that they deserve, you know, an audience. Like, at first, this was a movie that was originally going to be straight to streaming. And then they fought to get it released in theaters. And it's like one of the first live action superhero movies with uh, primarily uh, a Latino cast. And like, you've got, um, I don't know, like, I think they've worked hard to put this movie together despite all the chaos at Warner Brothers. And then now they're in the midst of a strike where the actors can't even promote the film or attend the the premiere. So it's really kind of, um, they they faced a lot of odds, but I hope that uh, it's a good movie and that it will get uh, some good exposure. Uh, I, I hope people go see it. I'm, I intend to see it soon, maybe tomorrow. So uh, I'll, uh, maybe I'll mention it again after I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I should mention that I also watched the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie a week or two ago. It was great. Uh, I will refer you guys to other podcasts about it because I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it was great. I wish I could do a podcast about it, but you know, Riverdale is draining all of my focus and energy right now, <laughs> as it tends to. <laughs> all right. Um, thank you, Candy and Maddie, for joining me on this Riverdale review, and thanks to everyone listening. 
If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please like, subscribe, rate, and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Also, you can follow or message us on Twitter, Reddit, TikTok, Instagram, Threads, or League of Comic Geeks. Just search for DMV Comic Book Nerds or DMV CBN, and you should be able to find us. Feedback and engagement means so much to us. Um, so also check out Maddie's Substack. And we hope to catch you next time, Riverdalians. Can you dig it? Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.